I have some friends who, when they were expecting their second child, uh, they went to the hospital, as one would expect, when uh, labor came. They were all packed and ready to go. And uh, I happened to be in a group of people that were not specifically uh, around, that were friends of theirs, but not specifically there to wait uh, with the news. There was another reason we gathered, but the news was exciting because now there was something new to expect. And, and so they were, of course, very excited, as you would be if a baby's coming. Went to the hospital, checked in, had everything ready to go. Baby's born. We got the call in the group I was in, and we were pleasantly surprised to hear a boy's name. They were pleasantly surprised to hear that it was a boy because the ultrasound said it was a girl. And they expected a girl. They packed pink clothes for a girl. And they walked into the hospital. Is that me ringing, Larry? No. Okay. Just making sure. They walked into the hospital expecting a girl. We heard a boy's name. They were delighted. They walked out of the hospital with a boy in pink clothes. And they were happy. Sometimes these things happen, but, but they were expectant either way. And they were delighted even with a slightly different result than they expected. They were happy. And so too we have uh, hope that Israel has had. For generation upon generation, they're expecting something. And we've looked at some of those texts that pointed forward as we walked through Advent. We've looked at Isaiah 2, 11, 35. We've missed some in there and we've missed some of the other prophecies too. We just didn't have time to look at them. But they were waiting for something. And I want to be fair to those Isaiah texts. We looked at what they were talking about way in the future. They do talk about a present reality and a present hope and some present deliverance and what that hope means now. But they were aiming way in the future. And now we see, we're going to look at Matthew 1, 18 through 25 today, where Joseph is asked to respond to God in a rather striking way. We see how those promises are going to come into play and be fulfilled. We have a faithful God who's been faithful generation upon generation, and now God's love is going to be shown in the way that people have never seen before, that we've never seen before. And we get a glimpse, as, as, and I'm going to start actually in Psalm 130 in just a moment, but when we get to Matthew, I won't read the genealogy for you. You can do that on your own later. But that points us, that orients us into this promise. Because it talks about, one, it moves us to Joseph as being the point of the story or or his response as being the point of what we're going to see in Matthew 1. But then it also shows us this covenant faithfulness that was there all through the Isaiah texts we looked at. It doesn't say it specifically, but it's there behind the text. God is faithful. God made a promise. God's going to fulfill the promise. Here it comes. Matthew will show us that. And our characters in Matthew 1, Mary, Joseph, they live like the people in the day of Isaiah, like the people before them in the days of Moses or Abraham lived on the pre-side of the first advent, the coming of Jesus. That's where they were waiting for the day, expectant for what would happen. And we have to catch that attitude if we're going to understand what's going on. So I want to read Psalm 130 because this is one of those psalms that gets flagged as, as really hitting the expectant attitude. And then we'll enter into our Matthew text. It's only eight verses. It's short. It says, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. 
I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. You hear that attitude, expectant, waiting for what God will do. And generation upon generation has been waiting. Joseph is a part of that story in an interesting, unexpected way. They're waiting to see God's faithfulness. They're waiting to see God's love in all its fullness. And Joseph gets to choose if he's going to do that or not. And so too, that'll be the challenge for us. So let's look at Matthew 1 and let's read 18 through 21 to get into the story here. The genealogy has just occurred. It tells us of pointing us to Joseph and to Mary. It's pointing us to Joseph here so that we'll catch what he has to do. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. In the ancient world, in Jewish custom of this time, when it came to marriage, if, so we orient ourselves to what's going on and the predicament that uh, each of these people is in, uh, there were two phases. Some will break it out into three. I'm going to call it two. Some will say there's the pre-engagement, sort of the matchmaking phase. I'm just going to call that in, uh, into the betrothal phase as well. There's the betrothal and the wedding, or the engagement is what we would call it in our terms. So when they were betrothed to one another, there was often a, a choice. Uh, this was often not just an individual choice. It could be done by the family. In fact, you get biblical examples of, of where that happens. Once that promise had been made of marriage, this engagement, the betrothal period, was typically about a year. Money would exchange hands or goods of some kind more likely um, at the beginning so that there's uh, an actual legally binding contract, if you will. So Joseph, just so we're clear, and Mary are legally bound to one another, but they're not married yet. They're betrothed. And we can see that in the text, in order for Joseph to break it off, you have to divorce. It even refers to him as her husband, even though they're not together in marriage yet. And then there's the wedding is part two. After this long period of preparation, expectation, as it turns out, uh, Matthew 22 and 25, Jesus tells parables about weddings. One's about a feast. One's about the the 10 virgins. When the bridegroom comes and gathers the the bride and takes her back to the feast uh, so that they can have in the ancient tradition, they would have the wedding itself, the ceremony, a celebration with the feast, and that same night, the consummation. So let's just be clear. When the betrothal is going on, they're legally as if married. They are not cohabiting with one another. That's very clear. And on the wedding night, it was often the case that there should be proof that they haven't been cohabiting together in some way. So Joseph now has a big problem. Because if Mary could kind of keep this quiet for a while, but there comes a point at which 
you can't keep a pregnancy quiet, right? And they're hitting that point. And Joseph recognizes he's not the father. And I want to just point this very important point out that I always point out when we get into historical things. There's often an assumption that people make about the biblical world and about history in general that people who lived a long time ago were not as smart as we are, where they believed in mythological ideas and this and that and the other, so they must not have understood how things worked. They understood the birds and the bees. They really did. They understood where babies came from. They really did. It's in the law. It's in how they did it. They understood it in the betrothal period. They got it. There was no question in their mind of how this worked out. So for Mary and Joseph, they're trying to figure this out. For the world around them, assumptions will be made, right? Because everybody knows where babies come from. Joseph is tangling with that very issue. These people are not stupid. They get it. And what's interesting, if we look at Joseph's character, if you look at verse 19, it says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. Some of you might have the word righteous in there. Mine interprets it, I guess, is what you'd say, that he was faithful to the law. That's what they're saying. It means I would concur with that. That fits with the expectation that we saw in Psalm 130. They're waiting, they're waiting, but in your word I put my hope. That fits with what we saw in Isaiah to walk the highway of the Lord, to walk closer with God. That fits with what we read in the Psalms all over the place, to walk in conjunction with God using the law. That is how you walk in close communion. Joseph is a man of integrity who understands that God has called his people to be holy as he is holy. Joseph is doing that. Joseph is trying to walk that pattern, and he is doing right. But then he's corrected and saying, well, wait a minute, even though you're doing right, you're not actually doing right. And we get pictures in the Bible of people who think they're doing right and aren't. great example that gets used a lot is Isaiah 58, where people are worshiping, they're doing everything right according to the right ritual of worship, but they're not getting the results they wanted from God. Right? They're fasting, they're doing everything, and God says, you know why? Because your attitude stinks, because you're doing it wrong. Let me tell you how to worship. You get the, the grand example in the New Testament of people doing, things the right, doing the right things the wrong way. In the Pharisees, right, who will try and figure out how to live the law by creating more laws to live the law to make sure that they don't break the law. And in doing so, they miss the point of the whole thing, right? If you want to take a Sabbath day, if you just extend the edge of your property just a little farther, all of a sudden you can take a longer Sabbath day journey from the edge of your property. Well, that misses the point, Right? It wasn't just that you could get to Walgreens faster or something like that. So they missed the point. Joseph is not like that, though. Joseph has this right intent and right practice. He's trying to do right. He's even showing compassion, isn't he, and dignity to Mary in the process. And yet, in this dream, the angel comes and says, but guess what? Don't divorce Mary. Something different's going on here. Something new is happening here. And and what I want to focus on this morning is the fact that Joseph is able to respond. Joseph is able to hear what God says to him and respond to God's call on him. Why is that? I think if we look at him, one is that Joseph lived in God's reality already. It's, it's, uh, we can have different understandings of how God functions within the world, um, Operatively, we've had in our, our culture for a long time what would be called a deist view for a lot of people, that God set up the world and then stepped back and let natural processes go. 
And for a lot of people, we actually uh, live with a kind of a semi-deist view of the world without realizing it. God set up the world and all the natural processes and gives us morality and, and the rules of the game and steps back. And there are kind of windows and occasionally God will step in and course correct things in the world. What I sense with Joseph in the world that he's from is that he had a far more robust understanding of God's involvement in the world, that God is constantly involved in the world, and he's able to, to recognize the reality of God's presence with him. This isn't a fluke. This is something that he's tuned into, as it turns out. If, if we have a view where God kind of fits into the world when we want God to fit in, or, or steps back and just gets into those little course-correcting windows, then we, we can easily fit into the idea of following and doing what God calls us to do when it happens to be convenient, not when it's inconvenient to us, not when it asks us to change. Joseph has a very robust worldview, I think, of God's involvement. He can hear and respond to God's voice. Joseph is a righteous man, but let's not fool ourselves. He's being asked to make a radical decision and a radical change in his life. And he has to have a close communion with God. He has to be able to recognize that voice in order to do that. He has to understand the hope and the expectation that we have. And it's, it's, if we don't have a worldview that allows for God to be involved on a regular, ongoing basis in our lives, rather than just dipping in, uh, well, then we can get into trouble. I think we've culturally lived in a world, and it's, it's crashing down around us, for better or worse, culturally lived in a world where uh, being right with God simply looked like going to church and being moral, right? To follow the golden rule and do the good things that Jesus said. Don't smoke or chew or go with girls that do that kind of world. But morality itself is not the mark of a believer. It's a byproduct of following Christ. In fact, we're called to be holy. We're called to be right with God, not simply do right for God. The doing right is a byproduct of being right with God. And Joseph, I see, ha must have that to be able to respond in such a way. And Joseph was respond, or asked to respond to a God. It turns out it looks like he already knew. He, he knew how to hear the voice in one way or another. And yet his worldview is challenged, right? He had to figure out how to follow through on something very difficult. And we're challenged with the exact same thing when we come to this text. I was just talking to our confirmation students about the resurrection. Some people want to downplay the resurrection at, at, when we come to Easter time. Well, it didn't really happen. It's a metaphor. People who are termed, in, even with a high view of Scripture, whatever that means, will say, oh, it was just a metaphor. It just happened. We get to the virgin birth. Even one commentator who I generally like, this week I was reading his stuff. He said, well, the church doesn't really say you have to believe it was an actual virgin birth just that it was guided by the Holy Spirit. Like Holy Spirit was a matchmaker between Mary and Joseph, and there you go. That's not the text I'm reading. I don't know if you're reading a different one. That's not the one I'm reading. No, it in fact says it was by the work of the Holy Spirit. Joseph is adopting, if you will, in this case. Joseph is choosing to be a part of this. He's asked to respond accordingly. And we're challenged to believe the exact same thing because we know how the birds and the bees worked. They still do. Joseph, he can hear God's voice and he responds. Joseph can hear and respond because he lives in God's reality, but I think he also lives under God's authority, and so should we. And so we continue on with the text in verses 22 through 25. 
It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So now we have Jesus, God saves. Emmanuel, God with us. We know who God is or who Jesus is and what Jesus is going to do. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Who lives in God's reality recognizes God's authority, so we must do the same thing. He's able to respond to a God he already knew, and he had been living with this expectation, this hope. That's what the genealogy is pointing us towards. He, he figures out what needs to change now when he hears the voice of God. I have a decision to make, Joseph says. And he makes it. He has to get in line with God's reality, not try and make God get in line with his reality. Maybe if I can just explain this away a different way. No, he's got to live with the story if he's going to be a part of the story. He was open to a plot twist, as it turns out. And the question for us becomes, as we look at Joseph's response, what's your response to such a God? To a God of such unfailing love? To a God of such faithfulness? To a God who comes into history and says, I want to be in relationship with you so much so that I'll give up everything to be in relationship with you. I've encouraged you as we've gone through Advent to enter into the story, the story that we see falling or lived out through scripture the story that culminates in jesus christ and what that means for us now to enter that story we have to live under god's authority that is doing what god has asked us to do if it's convenient or inconvenient when we do that we experience god's best now questions we could ask if we're going to live under god's authority and god's reality is am i encountering the story regularly. And I mean that more in a simple way of am I reading scripture on a daily basis? That's significant. That gets you on the right path. But am I reading the word that God's given us so I can have a relationship with God in such a way that I'm actually challenged by it? That there's something to respond to rather than just encouragement to go on. Those are important things. We need that. And am I challenged to be more like Christ because of what I read in here on a regular basis? Am I meeting with God consistently, perhaps, is another question we need to ask. So not simply am I challenged by the word, but am I able to hear when God actually speaks? When God actually presents himself, whether it is through scripture, whether it's audible, whether it's through a prophetic word from somebody else, could I hear it and respond. Joseph hears it. He can recognize it. Then he responds. Would I have the same ability to even recognize that's God's voice speaking to me? The closer we are when we walk the highway of the Lord, to put it in Isaiah's terms, when we're righteous, walking in close communion with God, the more we walk in communion, the more we hear clearly what God is calling us to do, who God is calling us to be most importantly, and we'll act accordingly because of that. Am I really open to what God is doing, not just what I wish God was doing? Sort of the bottom line of all of that. I would suggest that uh, 
being able to respond to these things doesn't always mean massive life change. For Joseph, it did. It was massive disruption in his life. For many of us, it doesn't mean that we're going to have to move, switch jobs, all of that. For some of us, it does. But for a lot of us, responding to God is found in the day-to-day. What's God presenting us with each and every day that we need to respond to? Where is God working in my life each and every day that I need to respond to? I had a nice, simple example in my own life this week as I, I was working out this sermon. Uh, it's the holidays. We get a, a lot of benevolence calls to the office at this time and knocks on the door and people coming in asking for various things, gas, uh, food, um, rent, utilities, all of those. And I've been working with somebody for about two weeks in a, a long-term phone conversation. They keep calling in and asking different bits of advice because sometimes it's counseling that they're asking for too, so you do that. And uh, finally, after a couple weeks, they were able to come in and get some help with food. And we can't offer much. We can offer something. I'm deeply thankful, by the way, that you contribute to the Care and Share Fund, which allows us to do this. So I was able to help this person. They were looking for good food options, incredibly limited budget, incredibly limited. Um, They wanted something healthy, too, which, of course, is really hard on an incredibly limited budget. Um, But they wanted something filling. Stephanie had just given me a bag of, of a pound of sesame sticks, you know, from the bins, the good ones, uh, sugar-coated, as it turns out. In this case, they're really good. They're incredibly filling. They're sitting on my desk, a snack. And it was kind of like I felt that twinge. She's looking for something. I was invested in the story by this point. Would these help? Yeah, these would be Great. Would we be able to respond when the time comes to respond, even in the small ways when God comes into the picture, when God calls us to do something? Next time we probably see each other will be Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. We're celebrating the story. We live between the first advent and the second advent. We're supposed to celebrate the hope that we'll celebrate this coming Sunday that Jesus came that God's love in all of its fullness came. We wait for the day when Jesus returns, the second advent. And in the meantime, we live the story. We walk the highway of the Lord. We, we walk in close communion with God as Joseph did so that when we hear God's voice, we respond. As we read God's word, we are changed and we are challenged to become more like Christ. We're confronted with decisions just as massive and monumental sometimes as Joseph, even those small decisions. Was it a virgin birth? Was it not? Did the resurrection really occur? Did it not? What does that mean? We walk in close communion with the Lord. We learn and we testify to others what that means. Let me read Psalm 130, verses 7 and 8 as we close. Don't just put Israel in this but us, first covenant. It says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. This is the hope that we show in this season. He himself will redeem Israel. He himself will redeem us from our sins. That's the story we enter, living in God's reality under God's authority. Let's pray together. God, thank you for being sovereign over all things. We praise you that this world is yours and we get to be a part of it. God, may we enter into your story in a way we've never seen before this season. 
For those of us who are here who have never come to know your son, Jesus, God, would your spirit work now? Bring them to you. For those of us in this room, God, who look at scripture and we don't want to be challenged anymore, it's too hard. Help us to live into your story, not for what's convenient, but for what's right and for what you've called us to do, who you've called us to be. For those of us, God, who crave your voice, let us hear it. For those who crave your word, let us hear it. Experience it this season. Let us experience your love, God, in all of its fullness as we celebrate the birth of our Savior, but also celebrate our hope that is to come of all that you will do as your kingdom rolls in. We pray this in your name. Amen.